This is Crossroads with Clayton King. When it comes to salvation, you cannot achieve it. You can only receive it. It's a gift. Can't work for it, can't earn it. That's how we're saved. By grace, through faith, it's God's gift, not of our own works, so that we can't take credit. We can't boast, we can't brag. Are you saved? While many of us might focus on what we are being saved from, others may focus on what we are being saved for. Depending on both your church background and life experiences, you may have different ideas on what being saved really means. On today's program, we'll hear Clayton's straight talk to university students in a message he calls the Doctrine of Salvation. When I talk about salvation, Other than my wife and my children, there is nothing I love talking about more than this. So I'm gonna take you through scripture. If it's okay with you guys and ladies tonight, I wanna let the Bible preach itself. I wanna let the scripture lay our hearts bare before God. And if you are a Christian, which I assume most of you are, many of you at least, then this is gonna be an encouragement for you to understand not what denominations say about salvation, not what your favorite podcast pastor says about salvation, not what your favorite Calvinist or your favorite Arminian or your favorite celebrity pastor or your favorite little bitty Baptist church out in the middle of nowhere pastor says about salvation. This is liberty, I know how to push a few buttons, okay? I'm gonna let the Bible teach us about salvation tonight. For the next three and a half hours, okay? No, I'm just kidding. No, do not encourage me. Don't encourage me. I'm watching the clock. So let me ask a few questions to get us started. First of all, what are we saved from? This is an important question because you'll hear people talk about getting saved, being saved, being born again, becoming a Christian, responding to the gospel. And depending on what denomination you grew up in, you probably saw it done different ways. I grew up in three denominations. I went to Presbyterian Christian school. My parents were Southern Baptists. My grandpa was Pentecostal. So I. I saw salvation explained and experienced in lots of different ways. Let's let's ask this question from the beginning. What are we saved from? I'm gonna make this very biblical and very linear. There are three things, I only have time to mention three, there are more, but let me mention the three things that we are saved from. Number one, we are saved from sin. We are saved from sin. Now there are lots of words that are synonymous with sin now in our culture, and and I'm not throwing shade on these words, but Jesus does not primarily want, listen to me please with your heart. Jesus did not die on the cross and shed his blood to take away your dysfunction, your issues, your insecurity, your guilt, your, your anxiety, your depression, your fear, only. He does want to take all of those things away from us. He does want to save us from all of these things. But these things, our dysfunction, our issues, our unhealthy habits, our our relationships that, that are not good or healthy, our fear, our anxiety, our depression, these things are all, listen, results of sin. If, if I could use this illustration, I've struggled with depression. I lost 
nine family members in like 12 years. I, I was depressed for a long time. I wrote two books about it. I've struggled with anxiety and depression, but I want you to see this. Your anxiety, your depression, your fear, your dysfunction, your insecurity, your jealousy, your petty ways, my addiction to drama, whatever it is you're struggling with, that is all, watch, downstream from sin. Sin is upstream from all of that. We have to understand this doctrine. Jesus doesn't wanna just give you a better life. He wants to save you from sin. Sin is upstream, all of our other issues are downstream from sin. So Jesus doesn't just want to be your counselor or your therapist. I go to a counselor, I believe in therapy, but Jesus is not primarily your counselor or your therapist. He is your savior who wants to rescue you from sin. All the other things are downstream from sin. Make sure you understand that. Because sin is not a game Sin will fascinate you and then it will assassinate you. Can I take y'all on the road with me? Can y'all just travel with me everywhere I go? Wow. I got another one for you. Sin will thrill you and then sin will kill you. That's all I got. I have no, that's all I got, Pastor. That's it. Now, no joke here. Seriously, Jesus wants to save us from sin because sin is a killer. Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin. In other words, the penalty of sin, the result of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's establish this first. This has gotta be our ground zero. We've gotta know what Jesus is saving us from. He is saving us from sin because sin leads to death. Oh, and by the way, everybody in this room is a sinner. Everybody watching me online is a sinner. People who 20 years will watch this message on the internet somewhere, you're a sinner. I don't have to convince you of that. I shouldn't have to convince you of that. I don't care what anybody tells you or what's on a bumper sticker or in a pop song. You were not born okay the first time. We are born sinners. That's why we have to be born again. Jesus said that, I didn't say that. John chapter three, look it up. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. You're not born into the family of God. You're born in the image of God, created in the image of God, but we are born broken because of sin and salvation is what rescues us from the results and the penalties of sin. Number two, we are rescued from Satan. What are we saved from? We're saved from sin and we're saved from Satan. I, don't, I, I, I guess I'll just say it, just to, so I'm saying it out loud. I believe in a literal devil. He is not figurative. He is not symbolic. Don't let some self-proclaimed theologian on YouTube that you've never met, that never got an education from an evangelical institution or never really read the Bible and believed it tell you that Satan is just a metaphor for all bad things. No, Satan is a real created being and he hates you. He hates you. If Satan really wanted to destroy the human race, the first thing he would do is to convince the human race that he's just a fairy tale character. Because you can't defend against an enemy that you don't believe in. He can come right up in your backyard, kick your door down, set your house on fire, and pillage everything you've got and you don't even know he's real. Here's why I believe Satan is real. There are really only two reasons I believe Satan is real. Number one, the Bible says he is, and number two, Jesus believed it. That's why I believe Satan is real. 
Jesus had a face-to-face encounter with Satan. It's recorded in the Gospels. He was tempted by him in the desert after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus, in between his baptism and his public ministry, was tested in the desert just like the nation of Israel. But where the nation of Israel failed their test in the desert, Jesus passed the test. So Jesus is the truer and better Israel. Jesus now wants to save us from Satan, who Jesus himself identified in John chapter 10, verse 10, as the thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That is John chapter 10, verse 10. What are we saved from? We are saved from Satan. Let me clarify in case you've never understood why Satan hates us so much. I don't really hate anybody. I hate some things. I don't hate anybody. I hate some things. I hate spiders. Um, I hate cilantro. Because I'm a Christian. Hate cilantro. I don't hate anybody. But there, let me tell you why Satan hates you. Because you look like, and I have to say this in a, in a, in a very cautious and careful way, when Satan looks at you, he sees God because you are made in God's image and you look like God in some mysterious way that we don't fully understand. In the book of Genesis, from the very beginning, the Bible says that God said, I love this, it's the first time we see Trinitarian language in the Bible. It's right there in Genesis, right at the very beginning. God said, let us make mankind or the human race in our own image. God, singular, says let us, plural, make the human race in our plural image. Who is the plural our? Who is the plural, plural us? It's what we call Trinitarian doctrine. The church has affirmed this for 2,000 years, that God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. And as one ancient theologian put it, God is too one to be many and too many to be one. God exists as Father, God exists as Son, God exists as Holy Spirit, uncreated, eternal, existing outside the space-time continuum that we live in, too big to understand, but so lovely that you can know Him personally. And when Satan looks at you, when Satan looks at you, and when Satan looks at you, and when Satan looks at you, he hates you, he hates me. Because when he sees us, he sees created beings that have the ability to worship God and know God, but he, as a fallen angel, gave up the ability to worship God. When pride entered his heart, he rebelled against God, he convinced a third of the angels to rebel, and God kicked him out of heaven. He is now the adversary, that's what Satan means. It means enemy, it means the He is the accuser. He's a thief. And Jesus said, John 10, 10, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. You need to be saved from the devil. You're not man enough to fight this battle. No matter how empowered you feel, you cannot. You are not woman enough. You are not clever enough. You are not smart enough. You are not seasoned enough. You are not crafty enough. You can't come up with a plan to defeat Satan's attack against you. He knows exactly where to hit us and he wants to destroy us. He wants to rip our guts out. Jesus actually said that to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat What does that mean to sift like wheat? It means to rip the kernel out of the middle of the wheat. It means to literally disembowel. That's what Satan wants to do. That's why you need to be saved. What are we saved from? Sin, Satan, number three. What are we saved from? Here we go, just gonna say it, self. 
save this one for last. Thought I might hurt some of y'all's feelings. I, I love you enough to tell you this. You, 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 you are made in the image of God just like me, but not a one of us, including you and including me, can possibly save ourselves. You're not that good. You're just not that good. Neither am I. Maybe your mom and daddy got money. Great, you can't buy your way out of hell. Maybe, you're, maybe your dad has a great job. Maybe your mom has a great career. That's wonderful, but their blood cannot wash away the guilt of your sin. And not only that, but when it comes to ourselves, if you have not learned this about yourself yet, you probably will at some point in your life, you are better at getting yourself in trouble than anybody else. The problem in the world is not the Democrats, it's not the, the, the Republicans, it's not the far left, the far right, it's not Bernie Sanders, it's not George W. Bush or George Washington or Biden or Trump or any name you wanna put in there. You know what the problem is? Ultimately, the problem is individual sinful people like you and like me who love to point our fingers at all the bad things around us but don't really ever wanna point a finger back and see where we need to change. Ultimately, myself is my biggest problem. That's what the Bible says. I told you I'd let the Bible speak for us tonight. James chapter one, verses 14 through 15. Here's what James, the brother of Jesus had to say. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Maybe you've never heard this before. I hope you have, but if you haven't, I'm gonna say it. You are so broken that God had to send his son to save you but you were so beautiful to God that he would let nothing keep you away from his kingdom. So my problem is the same problem you have. You might think that your problem is you can't quit looking at porn, that's a problem. Maybe your problem is your bad language, that's a problem. Maybe the problem is you're addicted to pills or you, or you, you, you break the rules or, or you're living a double life or, or, or you're sleeping around, whatever. I don't know what your problem is, but at the root of every problem are sinful, broken, selfish people like you and like me. And that's why we need somebody bigger than us to save us from ourselves. So what are we saved from? We are saved from sin. We are saved from Satan and we are saved from ourselves. Can I just give an example of this before I move on to the next part? When I was... 15, and I got saved at 14. At 15, I bought my first car. I bought a 1979 black Chevy Camaro with a 350, chrome bullet hole mags, dual exhaust, built my own sound system in, back in the day. Played, I had some Run DMC thumping in that, in that, in that piece. Y'all don't know nothing about Run DMC. I told y'all I'm from the 1900s. But I wanted a Corvette Stingray. And I prayed for a Corvette Stingray. You know what God did? God did not give me a Corvette Stingray. He saved me from myself. I would have been dead or still in prison today in 2022. That first girl, Barbara, that I wanted to kiss when I was 14, she wasn't the first girl I prayed for God to let me marry. You know what God did? God saved me from my own stupid prayers. I prayed to marry some crazy girls. 
And you know what? I was just as crazy too. God saved me from myself so many times from marrying the wrong person, dating the wrong person, going to the wrong school, making a bad decision. This is what salvation is. James says we're drawn away by our own lust. We're enticed. We give in to temptation. It turns into sin. Sin turns into death. We'll get back to Clayton in just a minute. But first, I'd like to let you know about our ministry. Our mission at Clayton King Ministries is to preach the gospel and make disciples. We serve God's kingdom by providing exceptional events like Crossroads Summer Camp, which has been providing a life-changing experience for students since 1996. We create printed, video, and audio ministry resources available through our website, and we provide outreach opportunities through Crossroads missions and trips. Get plugged in at ClaytonKing.com. All of these resources and this radio program are made possible by people like you who go above and beyond to help us build a deep faith in the lives of thousands of young people around the world. So remember us in your personal prayer time. And when you visit our website, ClaytonKing.com, please consider helping us financially. Your prayers and financial support mean everything to us. Again, our web address is ClaytonKing.com. So now that we've answered the question, what are we saved from? Let me ask another question. I hope you guys and ladies are taking notes. What are we saved for? Are we just saved so that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we don't have to worry about going to hell anymore and we've got a spiritual fire insurance policy and we can answer that question now if we died tonight and God said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I would say Jesus because I'm saved. Guys, ladies, the Bible teaches us that we are not just saved to sit around and wait. We're saved to do something. So what are we saved for? First of all, we're saved for the sake of others. We're saved for the sake of others. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 and 18 through 21. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Uh, footnote here, guys, I'm not only a pastor, I'm an evangelist. And every time I preach the gospel, I'm trying to persuade people to be saved. And every time I share the gospel on an airplane or like I did uh, yesterday at the sauna in the gym, every time I do that, every time I leave a tip at the restaurant, I am trying to persuade people to become a Christian. It is my job, it is my calling. Paul understood that. I'm trying to make the point here, we're saved for others. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. I hope it's also plain to your consciences. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Boy, couldn't America use some reconciliation right now? And this is what he goes on to say, that is in Christ. God, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins or their trespasses against them. And now this is the good part, God has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Holy cow, the most important message the world has ever heard, the one that everybody needs, God has authorized you and me to share that message with, our, with others. 
He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God, this, this is mind blowing, since God is making his appeal through us. I hear people say this all the time. Well, God can do whatever God wants to do. God could speak through a donkey. God doesn't need us. Let me pause right there and tell you that's absolutely wrong and that's not biblical. God does want, does God need us? He's God, he doesn't need anything. So it's a dumb question. Does God want to use us? Yes, we are the chosen vessel for the gospel of salvation to be shared with the rest of the world. I had a guy bring that up to me one time. He said, well, God could use a donkey if he wanted to. I said, how many times has God ever used a donkey? One time in the Old Testament, one time. How many times does God use people? We are his ambassadors. God has saved us for the sake of others. Therefore, as ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God doesn't save you to sit, God saves you to serve. God doesn't save you just so you know, God saves you so that you will go. He saves us for others. Number two, what are we saved for? Number two, joy. We're saved for our own joy. We're saved so that we might know Christ. This is what 1 Peter verses eight and nine say. Peter, of course, was Jesus' closest, one of his closest friends. He was the leader of the New Testament church. He made his confession there at Caesarea Philippi in Matthew and Mark's gospel. It's my favorite place to visit in the Holy Land. And after Jesus is crucified and resurrected from the dead, after Peter denies Jesus, he is reinstated. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He testifies and preaches the gospel to people and thousands are saved in Jerusalem. And here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, eight through nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, Jesus. And you rejoice, watch this with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Who do you ask? You ask God. What do you ask him to do? God, please save me. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm not perfect, I'm guilty. Will you please pardon my sin? Will you please forgive me? I repent. You ask. What do you ask? You ask for salvation. Revelation 3.20. At the end of the Bible, we get this image of Jesus. Jesus himself says this in a revelation to John the apostle. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'm knocking, I'm here, I'm pursuing you, I want you. And if you will open the door, I will come in and fellowship with you and you with me. 
You see, Jesus is already asking you to be saved. He does that through the power of the Holy Spirit when you are convicted that you need to give your life to Christ. When you're convicted that that prayer you prayed when you were little, you didn't really mean it. That that summer camp decision you made way back in the day, you didn't really understand it. And you're sitting there and you're feeling something while I'm preaching and you think it might be Clayton King's words. No, it's not. It's the knuckles of Jesus knocking. I stand at the door and knock. Can I come in? You know what you get to do? You get to open the door and you get to ask, yes, Jesus, will you please come in? Will you please come in? I promise you, he always says yes. Jesus is saying yes to save you from your past and to save you for great things to come. If you've asked Jesus into your heart, we would love to walk with you through this journey. Reach out to us at ClaytonKing.com. And if you would like to hear this program again, send it to a friend or explore all the other resources we have for your spiritual journey with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.